Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. This is Chet. You are listening to episode seven. This is going to be with Corky and George Richardson, and they're going to discuss everything about the Richardson family hunting dynamics. George is the patriarch of the Richardson family. He is 83 years young this year, and he has instilled a whole lot of knowledge to Corky and his two other brothers. Corky's in studio today with his dad, and he's going to share the family dynamics, how they look at fair chase, how they look at fellowship, how they look at enjoying God's creation when they are out there hunting with friends and family. This is a really good episode. It's really heartfelt, and we hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Christian Hunters America. I'm Mike Kronoska here, and we got a, an exciting day for our podcast. And uh, as if you're anywhere within Arizona and you've been around the hunting circuits or archery or you look in the record books, there's uh, one family that kind of stands out, and that's the Richardsons. So I'm here with uh, Chet. How you doing, Chet? I'm doing great. How are you, Mike? We are doing fantastic. Exciting day. So uh, two of my uh, dear friends that I look up to and <clears throat> been friends, I think, probably 15, over 15 years now. I got Mr. George Richardson and Corky Richardson. How you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing ready. We're, we're doing great. So as you guys uh, know, especially um, those that have followed the Richardson family, um, they are probably the most successful hunters when, it, you know, when you look at the history of the last 30 years. But on the flip side is what we're going to do is we're going to kind of get in depth and, and hear about the legacy that George has empowered to the family. And it's when you look at a family that is hunted, it's uh, it's a well-rounded of generational of hunters, specifically bow hunters and, and what they do as a family, which is just mind-boggling when you think about a family culture. So with that, George, I'm going to jump in with that with you, George. So when did you start hunting? When do you think you started hunting? Because I think you're probably what... 82, 83 now, probably somewhere in there? 83. 83. Gosh, I had to be what? It was in the early... Uh, probably the late 50s, because you were hunting in Indiana, right? No, Before. I never hunted there much. Just okay. Well, you came out here in 60, right? 59? 61, I came out here <laughs> and go. started hunting shortly thereafter. fact is, I went to Kayabab. It was my first trip. It was, uh, was the... Uh, in 61. 1961. Was that, um, you're also a veteran, so did the service bring you out here? Because I, I know you've talked about it, being in the service and all the things you've done to serve our country, and we salute you, and, and uh, it's an honor to have you here as a, as a veteran that, that basically protected our freedom that allowed us all these years later to have what we have today. So Yeah. Now, we, uh, I didn't come out as a veteran. I had got married, and uh, we, uh, my wife and I came out. Really an interesting trip in a 60 Falcon with everything we owned in it. <laughs> Drove all across the country, huh? Everything we had. Had a cedar chest on top of it. We were looking at the Beverly Hill Willies. Oh, man. <laughs> Is that the same cedar chest that I cut my eye on? It's the same one. Same I'm one, still yeah. Still yeah. my bed, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So did they have uh, dirt roads back then, or were they paved back then? Actually, you know, if you'd go up through Globe, you know that road that you see down below, it goes up around the curve and things? Yep. That's the one that you didn't go through the uh, tunnel or nothing like that. You just drove up that creek. Wow. And with the 60 Falcon, it was a 90-horse motor. Oh, man. 
It was interesting. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> we yeah. actually turned around and went back and got to uh, Santa Rosa, New Mexico, and decided to come back. <laughs> you were heading back home. You came all the way out here and decided you were going to leave decided, Arizona? We decided to go back and got almost over there, and we decided to turn around and come back. I had a tremendous job offer while I was here, so <laughs> bucket and a half an hour or so. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's amazing. Just think if you had kept driving, the Arizona history would have never, none of us in Arizona would have ever had that history here with you guys. Well, us boys are very glad that he came back, so. <laughs> yep, so there's what? How many? There's uh, three brothers. You've got three sons? Three. Yeah. Three boys, yeah. All right, so you got Daryl, Corky, and Dino. Right. And uh, so they're all like uh, three, I would say, uh, completely opposites, but they're also the exact same people. It's, it's amazing to me that... You get to know them. They're all the same people based on they're, they're the most giving people that I probably know. When I think about as, as an individual likes to make a difference in the lives of others and the things that they do, people, they have that, that, that monster heart that they just, they're always given. And I think that's a testament. Does that come from you or Luis, you think? Probably I would say equally, you know, both yep. of us. Yep. Yep. And for you guys who don't know, Luis is, uh, that's the, to me, that's one of the foundations of George's first love. And how long have you guys been married, George? 62 years. 62 years. I mean, what a what a concept. I mean, just think about, you know, in America, you know, to have 62 years of marriage. And it's it's truly, you know, something that I look up to and cherish and, you know, well done. And, you know, it's I, I do believe that the foundations you created and, you know, that's what allowed you guys to be so successful. So do you so Cork. So growing up, you know, with a with the father like George, it, you know, was was a hunter, may not have been the, the name of the hunter that we know today, but the foundation and the interactions that you see you know, throughout the years, what would you kind of say about your, your father, George? Well, the one thing that stands out more than anything is uh, Dad always took me with him. I, my earliest memory of my lifetime, I remember being just a toddler, maybe three, uh, well, actually 18 months, I remember us catching a squirrel with my hands up in Kaibab, and uh, Dad actually caught a picture of that. But... Um, he always took us with him. And, you know, at one time there was some guys at church that uh, over at First Free, right, Dad? Yeah. Right, right. And um, they were putting together a dove hunt, and uh, they said, uh, you know, we'd appreciate it if you wouldn't bring any kids. Dad didn't even hesitate. And Daryl and I both remember this vividly, saying, uh, well, you don't need to see us in the morning then because I'd rather be with my boys than I had, you know, anybody else. So that's the biggest thing. You know, nowadays families, they – and hunters and you know females and uh, males, as far as raising a family, they somehow they go and get a sitter for the kids and stuff. And you know, like Russ, he's already my boy. He's already started out his life. We take those guys with us, diapers and all. You know, um, and uh, they just have a great time. Violet knows more. She's five. She knows more about the woods and hunting than most men I know right now. You can ask her. She'll tell you all about it. So <laughs> No, it's true because I just saw on Facebook, Russ, um, as you know, that's uh, for those of you who don't know, Russ Richens, Corky's son, and another tremendous hunter and a great dad and, you know, just an incredible person here in Arizona. But he posted on Facebook his journey of, of having a, a bull elk tag after 18 years. And what was kind of funny is within that video, they were showing little George, who was named after George, who's with us, blowing as a bugle. He was sitting there in diapers and quirky. <laughs> I mean, Russ had him bugling, and 
then there was a scene where you, where George and Violet was out there somewhere in Unit 23 somewhere, and they're sitting there and they're talking about the different sounds and stuff and on the front of the bumper, and, and that's really what it's all about for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, the other thing that Dad did all the time was he always afforded us to go. Um, not the best equipment. You know, we always had good equipment, We but it didn't really matter if we had the newest, latest, greatest stuff. And it seems like sometimes um, parents, you know, they're, they're worried about providing everybody with the best thing. But, you know, for years and years, wood bats hit balls a long way before we got aluminum bats. So we had stuff. I mean, we got to play in the game, but uh, he always made sure that we had some arrows and stuff. Oh, yellow front was our was our key. We, we always hit yellow front up. That's where you got your hunting arrows and your uh, field points and all that stuff. Thank goodness for Yellow Front. Boy, that's a long time ago, Yellow Front. I remember there used to be one at 35th Avenue in Peoria, Yellow Front. I just that, totally forgot about that. That's true. You used to get a card when you got drawn for uh, any animal. They just mailed you a postcard saying, yeah, you got drawn for elk. And then you had to take that card down to Yellow Front or Smitty's, <laughs> Smitty's <laughs> store. And uh, you have to say, hey, I need to buy the tag that goes with this card. And you had to show them that card. And I'm sure we lost a half of them, you know, but uh, that's how they used to do it. That's amazing. Then I'm just thinking from Phoenix to the Kaibab. Now I, we can get on a freeway, drive 75, 80 miles an hour, be there in what, five and a half, six hours probably? I'm thinking now. So back then, towing your three boys back in the, what, late 60s or somewhere probably in there? How long of a drive? That'd be what, a 10, 12, 15 hour drive just to with the carload of kids to get up there in those conditions, I'd imagine? We used to go up just to turkey hunt one day, Holy drive up there that night. <laughs> And we hunt the next day. But you know what? The road hasn't changed a whole lot. It's still still got the dips and the rough places in it. Man, that's, that's amazing. That's That is amazing. It's tough putting a road on sand. That's the problem, that red dirt sand from, you know, on the res there. That's just really hard to establish a road there. So speaking of Kaibab, so is that one of your favorite places to mule deer hunt as a, as a family? Because I know... Uh, George, you were there last year with Dino, right? Your, yeah. One of your sons and on an archery hunt and was pretty successful. And I saw a picture where you're standing next to it, the arms jumping up almost like the, the old Toyota commercial where you're jumping up in the air and throwing a high five at 82-year-old. <laughs> well, it was, you know, Kaibab, it used to be you had to pay $5 extra to get a tag in Kaibab. And I used to go every year because people just wouldn't pay the extra $5 to go up and hunt. And it was unreal, hmm. the, you know, the deer that were there. Still and, the same quality back then that, that everybody knows about currently? You know, I'm sure it was. You know, you would see herds of, you know, four, five, six bucks together, big, you know, huge bucks. So, yeah, it was still a quality hunt. For five bucks extra, my five, my five how bucks. times have changed. Yeah. yeah, that's a gallon of gas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, right now in twenty twenty one, that's real close. <laughs> Dad had uh, we I got in some black and white photos not too long ago, and uh, I found you know a station wagon that had three bucks in the back of it, and just great big bucks, just over two hundred inch stuff, and I'm like, Dad, where are those heads at? And he don't know. He didn't keep them all, you know, back in the day. Um, but imagine throwing away a, or giving away a 200-inch elk or a deer head, you know. <laughs> I gave several of them to Paul Reese uh, uh, to make knife handles out of. 
Oh, man. That's crazy. <laughs> but back then, it wasn't about trophy hunting. It was just about spending time with your boys and hunting, huh? That's what it was all. It's still that way with me. Exactly. And that's what I've noticed. It's, and that's why I enjoy hunting with you because it's never about the trophy. It seems like the trophies automatically, they kind of come when we think of a trophy and what people get all excited over. But I think it's the mindset of enjoying the fellowship and the family. And with that, uh, there's no pressure. What I've noticed is you're just out there enjoying God's creation and and you're, it seems like God just kind of blesses you with these tremendous animals. You want to kind of talk about your faith and how that kind of ties into the Corky Richardson and the Daryl Richardson and Dino Richardson and the George Richardson and the Luis Richardson and all the grandkids go with it. That seems to be the reoccurring theme of there's a faith level that you guys have instilled as a family that becomes first and hunting is kind of secondary. It is always secondary. This year was the best javelina hunt that I've been on. In you know in my lifetime, wow. we used to hunt. Corky and I always hunt a couple of the reservations every year, and but <clears throat> I didn't kill the javelina, but I got to babysit three of my great grandkids. Wow! And we had a you know it was the best hunt that I've ever been on because hmm. I really didn't care about killing one. We killed quite a few of them. But those grandkids, two of them are really good, and one of them's a wild man. <laughs> Yeah, you deserved a medal for that. <laughs> yeah, must be George Jr. Yeah, that would be him. Yeah, good guess, Mike. <laughs> you must have met him. He's a great kid, though. No, that is for sure. And uh, so, based on that, so t t tell us a little bit about your faith and how that kind of ties into everything that you do. You know, as it relates to hunting, and I know you've been given some awards in the hunting and been part of a you know the. I know that Bowhunting Arizona Record Book gave you an award a few years back and, and some of the things that you do, but I, I know none of that really makes you know any difference, but it's, it's more about how you impact the lives of others. Well, we've always had a policy at our camps that we don't have the drinking and, and you know, all the stuff going out. You know, if people come by, they bring a beer or something like that. No problem with that, but we don't, you know, none of us drink and... We don't think it's a terrible sin to be, you know, for the guy who wants to, that's fine, but we just don't condone, you know, the drunks and that type of stuff in our hunting. Don't allow it, and we just make sure. And we don't have, you know, a lot of the filthy stories and things you hear at some of the camps and stuff like that. We just never did put up with it, and they always had plenty of people wanting to go with us. So. No, it's true. It's it's. I've been on some of those camps, and it seems like people find out that the Richards are in a camp, and they'll start lining up to join the camp and just be part of the fellowship and the laughter and stuff. And, and you don't see that, that partying atmosphere where people are actually engaged and actually becoming friends and fellowship and getting to know people, and it's not just... You know, hey, let's just have a bunch of, you know, let's, let's pass out later on because we have no idea what we talked about last night, but it's more of a, a building of relations. So yeah. I just came from a hunting event that uh, this past weekend that there was a lot of guys there, the top in the world um, of hunters. And we were eating meals all the time and not praying over them, you know. And the second one I said, you know, guys, we ought to be praying over this stuff. And we did, and it was funny how the room changed. Um all of a sudden, we're, we're just a lot closer, you know, and people started talking about their families and their kids and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think God just wants to be mentioned. You know, he, it, what's in your heart is going to come out, and uh, I think that's what you, you ask about our family and stuff like that. We just, we're not anything different out there than we are anywhere else, and uh, 
I think that's what we're supposed to do. Yep, I agree. And and I think the biggest statement that it kind of the light bulb went on, I think it's been, what, 10 years ago since we brought the Pope and Young? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think, was it the first time ever Pope and Young has come to Arizona? Yes. I believe, and I think you guys had a big impact. And I think, George, you were one of the keynote speakers up there, right? You get up there, oh, and, and, and what was, and that was the opening prayer, wasn't it? He yeah. got up there, and so we want to talk about that. I mean, think about the Pope and Young Convention that's all across the world. They come into Arizona, and they ask the Richardson family to be part of that. And at the time, CHA was part was one of the hosts that was helping put all that on. But of all the people they could have selected to do the opening, you know, to start it and to pray over the whole convention, that was you, George. I deemed it quite an honor to be asked to do that. <clears throat> Out of all of the positions or whatever they would ask me to do, that was probably the greatest one because most of the hunters, or I said, you know, a lot of them are Christian, devout Christian people. And, you know, they gave us all of these beautiful animals and things when God created them and things. And we're still having a record book. Every year there's new records on animals and things. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he also, he gave us dominion over the animals, he also gave us responsibility of taking care of them and not going out poaching and doing the things that you shouldn't do, you know. Yep. So it was quite an honor. The fact is, they asked us to come back to Kansas, and I couldn't at that time, right? Uh, Nebraska. We well, so Dad couldn't come, so I, I got the duty of doing that. And the irony of that is um, it still kind of chokes me up a little bit. But 10 minutes before the prayer was to be, I got a phone call, a 911 call, and Dad got hit by a drunk driver. That's right. And he was on the way to the hospital. I forgot about that. That's right. And uh, they said, we really don't have nobody else. And I said, no, I'll do it. And uh, I got up there and I couldn't, you know, all I could think, you know, you're seeing all those animals. And those that hunt, to go to the like a Pope and Young convention um, or a Boone and Crockett convention, it's amazing. You're standing there in front of the top animals of the world that, that we all pursue and chase. And you stand there with your, your jaw open most of the time. It's, it's awe-inspiring. And just you're around people that do what you do. But uh, in the honor of all that, it still meant nothing as to my concern for my dad. And um, I asked the Pope and Young, I said, I want you guys to pray for him. And we had, uh, I think, 1,100 people just stop right there and pray for Dad. And I don't know if he felt it or not. All I know is he's doing well today. It broke some vertebra in his neck, and, you know, it was a, it was a tough deal for him to get through and over. Um, but uh, anyway, that was, a, that was a neat moment. And still to this day at the conventions and where I just came from this weekend, they're all asking how George is. How's George doing? How's this? And that's, that's neat. I, you know, I, I got to share my dad. You know that, Mike. I do. I mean, you get to he For sure. he gets to be a, a dad to everybody. Um, Phil Dalrymple, his dad passed away, and so dad just adopts him. Dad's got a lot of sons out there, and that's really how we're supposed to be. Yep. Because uh, I know we we all talk about hey brother, hey brother. We walk by each other. You really are. You're my brother. Because yep. in the end, we're going to end up with eternity together. Yep. So it, if you can bring a little of that on earth. Um, you know, Dad's not perfect. He, everybody thinks he is, but 
he does do a great job of being what a father should be. He's a great example. So, no, I, I agree with that. And, and the testament is, I drew a, a strip tag. So, as a lot of the listeners may know, that strip is one of the the best places probably in the world to go mule deer hunting. And after all the years, I finally drew a coveted archery mule deer tag. And I probably came home with the world's <laughs> smallest buck ever. I've shot bigger coos deer than the, the mule deer. But I can tell you, I spent days and days with George and my hunt. Instead of becoming a mule deer hunt, it almost became a fellowship of just enjoying George. I mean, I mean, I, it, it truly impacted me to where my attitude completely changed. You know, it was, it was interesting. I, I, you're a testament to it. You know, there was times I, I just enjoyed being around you, and, and we just had a hoot, and, and I was happy to shoot a two-point from the strip, you know, just based on that. Because to me, that was a life-impacting hunt that I've never experienced in my lifetime. Because normally you go onto a hunt especially when you have a premium tag and the pressure and the excitement and the bragging rights or whatever else that you may see, you don't realize that sometimes you come back as a different person and a different mindset, and it's a different heart change. It's, you know, it truly is. And, and that was even at a time when Corky shot a tremendous non-typical in the 230 range or something crazy, and I think I was more excited for that buck than coming home with anything. I just remember that night him coming back and how excited I was for it. So, you know, because I was hanging around just the fellowship of it, you know, where there was, like you said, there was no alcohol, it was a party, and it was, it was impactful. We're sitting at dinner talking and really getting to know people for who they are as individuals and the things that we struggle with. Well, I want you to know, too, that feeling was very mutual, you know, because <laughs> I enjoyed being with you. It was one of the one of the best hunts we were on, you know, I've ever been on, because we yep. got to do a lot of fellowshipping and talking about the Lord and all that. And yep. So. yep, and I, and I think that's where I kind of learned that sometimes it's not about the animal or the hunt, it's, it's more about that weekend. And that's why I want to kind of circle back, because that's how you guys started was it's a family thing. Everything you guys do is hunting as, as a family. And I do know since I've known Corky the last 15, 18 years, his number one hunting partner is sitting right next to him and... When he wants to go hunting, it seems like you're always there with him. And when you're not there, he's calling you and connecting and making sure that you're part of that. So you guys want to kind of talk about, let you kind of talk about, Corky, about how George has impacted your life as your number one partner. Even though you're the son, it's almost like you guys are like a, a partner in crime when it comes to hunting. Well, I wasn't the firstborn, and I wasn't, I'm like all middle children. We have to work for everything we get. We're not the baby. We don't get it all when it's over. You know, <laughs> it's not like that. So, But... I just, uh, you know, it's been my, it's about your passion that you have, and it was always my passion. I mean, I missed, uh, I missed films on football games. I'd, I'd be here for the game, but uh, Saturday, you know, to see the film after the Friday game, uh, they had a penalty 10 miles. You had to run 10 miles between your next game. I thought, that's worth it to be able to go with pops, you know, and go hunting something somewhere. It's, what's 10 miles? But now it'd be a little different. You know, I'm a little bigger than I was then. But uh, you're still about six five back then, weren't you? In high school? Yeah, yeah, six five, but only about 130 pounds. So <laughs> I wrestled as a junior at 119. So I was pretty much a stick. But wow. uh, I was just, I was just set. That was I, I, what I wanted to do, and that's something Dad and I could do together. You know, Dad's not going to play football with me, but we're sure going to go um, and hunt around and do that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, he was always supportive of it, and. It, it, it changed at some point. I don't remember when, but um, all of a sudden I took over management of the hunts and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, all right, I'm putting you in for here, and he don't know when to put in. He doesn't track that. He doesn't have to worry about it. I keep him going. 
and we've got tons of points in all western states and all that kind of stuff we look for opportunities to go and you know do other things in just arizona but um it, it was funny that elk hunt that he was talking about was his first elk yeah and up on the rim at that time i think it was about the same time of year and the season is we had about four inches of snow or six wow in september yeah, was that amazing? 1973. Wow. Yeah, the we year came, I was born. <laughs> we camped up at Buck Springs, and yep. <clears throat> I was just exhausted because we'd got you know we'd been to the football game at night and everything, so I drove all night. So I told Corky, I said, "Just go on out and you'll find something." Just going out looking around, I figured just stay around the truck. He goes out and he comes back in. He's all excited and jumps on me, Dad. I got one. I got one. I said, where is he at? Uh, uh, I don't I know. I think he's down here somewhere. <laughs> I said, you don't know where he was at? Where is that? I said, was it a big one? Yeah, it was a big one. Anyway, I said, well, let's go follow your tracks. So we tracked him all around and come back and went way up across a couple roads and come back. And there, sure enough, there he laid. But his big one was a spike. Said the spike bull. <laughs> yeah, but at the first, first one you got. So at first, in 1973 on the rim, if you saw an elk in a weekend, you did good. That's the same place you oh. caught that little deer and brought in, remember? Yeah, during a um, uh, Assembly of God uh, Royal Ranger deal. I saw a deer just got born. I thought it would be cool to just walk over there and carry it back to camp. I got chewed out for taking it back. You know, I didn't really realize what I was doing. But I took it back, and its mama was up there stomping around, looking around. So we, uh, I dropped it off, and the mama came back, and uh, in about she took about twenty minutes. Then she came over and licked it all up and down, and then it got up and followed her off. So, but yeah, that was a, I caught a deer when I was ten, what nine years old. So. <laughs> Man, that's quite a story. So your first elk was yeah. a spike back then. While we well, killed was, a lot of spikes before he started shooting some boots. Yes, I did. Oh yeah, that's for sure. And I think that's probably a. A thing that, you know, for those that are listening is, you know, it doesn't start out with shooting big stuff year in, year out. It it, talk, it starts out with the hunting and the progression and, you know, and those opportunities. I, you guys want to kind of talk about, you know, part of it's, it's the hunting, the fellowship we talked about, but it's also enjoying and being, you know, whatever the harvest is, is being thankful for that, not putting a number or, or a statue based on that, but, you know, showing the respect of the animal based on what you harvest. Well, Dad's got a great saying that he uses all the time and, um, I've used it with, you know, I've guided over the years quite a bit. And uh, hunters always ask you, how big is it? How big is it? What do, you, how, what do you think it'll go? And, you know, that's a scary deal. That's a catch-22. If you're, if you're on it, great. But if you're a little over, that's not a good thing. If you're a little under, eh, they're still happy. But uh, that's a number you got to really be. So I always cut off 10 inches of everything, normally like a deer or an elk or something. That way everybody seems to be happy. But Dad's saying is, is – uh, there's been times that a guy will say, how big you think it is? And I, and he's laying down. He's got his bipod out, and he's got the safety clicks off. And I thought, well, we're fixing to find out. And boom, they'll shoot it. And uh, I used Dad's saying that he coined, and he said, however big it is, it's as big as it's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So that made me think of another thing that I thought about. So it's probably been 10 years ago or I don't, probably even longer than that, but we went to a Ted Nugent concert and, and I remember George turned down his hearing aids. He's like, this is the best concert ever. You know, he didn't have all the rock and roll and we're cheering. And, but to see Ted Nugent walk up to you, George, and, and act almost like, like you're his dad 
and the respect he had. So you want to kind of talk about how, you know, somebody is, you know, is famous across the country and probably one of the, the best rock and rollers and, you know, the biggest, I would say, hunting pro person that we have that, you know, is for A2 rights and hunting and all that and how you guys became personal friends with Ted Nugent. And I got to witness backstage, you know, just the love that Ted Nugent had for you, George. I mean, that was, I mean, Corky could probably explain yeah. some of that, how that started and how you used to hunt with them and, and how that relationship started. Because it, it shows you it doesn't matter the statue of where you're at in life. The impact of fellowship is, you know, it's, there, there's no prejudging, you know, where I think a lot of people, and I think I noticed that with, with Ted is you guys act like best friends. You would never even know that he's any other person. He's just Ted. He's just a friend, and, and he can do that. And I'm sure when you get to those higher statue levels and people look at you and worship you and all those other things, that they're not used to having true friends that could just have a conversation and talk in that way. So, Yeah, um, I met Ted way back uh, when the bow hunting in Arizona record book, uh, or actually the ABA. Uh, I was a I was a board member at 15 years old. I remember I had to have George Villa come by and pick me up. I was the Phoenix Metro region director, <laughs> and uh, I didn't have wheels because I couldn't drive. So, But I've been involved in it early, and um, at I think it was I was 19, and I got a call from the secretary of the ABA, and they asked me if I could take a guy out hunting, and I said, Sure, you know, a celebrity that was in town. I said, "Yeah, I, I could probably do that." You know, there's still tags on the reservation. We can make that happen. And uh, they said it's Ted Nugent, and I said, "Oh, that's funny," because I'm a rocker, been one for a long time uh, in high school and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that Ted hunted it when I was in high school, but uh, to actually be able to go out and hunt with him was caught a big deal then. And uh, down on Grand Avenue, there was a Ford dealership. I, I don't know what it was, but it there had to be. It was an 81, 82. It was a big Ford dealership right on the wedge of the corner there. And they had a Bronco for me to pick up. And they said, well, it's not just quite ready. They're taking it down. And I said, what do you mean you're taking it down? And they, they had it on the turnstile. They brought out this big old nice, beautiful, jacked-up Bronco that was glossy black, brand new, had zero miles on it. And they had a paper that they wanted to get Ted to sign, and that was so he would register it to him. They wanted a vehicle that was registered to him. And they gave it to us to take on the reservation. And we went out, and we were shooting and um, while we were looking for Havelina. We found some, and uh, I told Dad, I said, Dad, you move him on and take him down in on the pigs. And what we do to be quiet when we're doing that is normally we'll just grab your coat or your shirt and we'll just move you instead of having to say to your right to your left <laughs> remember that dan pigtail <laughs> yeah to your right or to your left you just grab them in the the back lower back with a shirt and you can just you can just put pressure and get a guy to go where you want him to go <laughs> and so dad was guiding ted in on that and uh <laughs> he didn't realize you know he had a whole dad doesn't hear really super well and um hereditary i might add but uh he had grabbed a whole wad of Ted's hair, and he was moving it, and he just kind of slipped on his shirt. And he, I, I remember, I've got it on video. Uh, he's got Ted pulling over to the sideways because he's pulling his hair out, you know. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it was the funniest thing ever. He was moving Ted in on these pigs, and Ted got in there and shot. And I, I don't, I think he got one, but I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, after that, he said, Pops, you had a hold of my hair. And, uh, ah, you know, a grown man like you ought to have shorter hair anyway. He told me. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So our, I think our relationship with Ted is just we're real. And, you know, guys like that, they look for people that are just real around them. I just left him two weeks ago. I was over at his place and took the 
owners of the company I worked for on a hunt on his place uh, in Texas. And, uh, you know, I spent four days mending fence, pouring corn in feeders, uh, driving around doing stuff you do if you have a ranch, you know, and he's right out there in the middle of all that. And uh, he's, he's built a great place for him to hunt and all that kind of stuff. But, um, and he still, he still knows mom and dad. And um, I don't know if we we'll probably not tell that other story um, with mom. But uh, anyway, <laughs> sometimes Ted's language can get a little rough. And uh, he used a couple of those, the expletive word that we all know, um, in my mom's kitchen. And she was cooking over there. If she missed that, and she, her ears were perked. Mom's, mom's missed nothing that we've ever said in our lives. And uh, anyway, he said it a couple times, and she turned around. She had a spatula in her hand, you know, where she's flipping eggs. And she said, hey, we don't talk like that in this house. And I remember Ted arguing with her. He said, it's just, a, just an adverb, Mom, just an adverb. And he says, yeah, well, I got grandbabies around here, and I don't want them using that adverb, so clean it up. And... The, there was 14, 15 people in there because everybody wanted to come over and have breakfast with Ted. And you could have heard a pin drop when that was going on because my mom had shut down Ted, and he apologized profusely and, and uh, <laughs> gave her a big hug before he left. He, and, you know, he just turned it off. You know, he yeah. that kind of language. So, yeah. you know. No, but that's the respect that, you know, it's, it's amazing that, you know, just when you build that relationship and the love of people, you know, that's the respect that comes. And I think we've all witnessed it in our lives, you know, and it's just – and that's kind of the Richardson way. Well, I told him, too, he was playing that, you know, rock and roller, and I'm not, that really wasn't my kind of music. So we were at a campfire, and the guy is, without a doubt, one of the best guitar players that you'll ever listen to. And he had some songs he was playing, and I said, Ted, why don't you play that kind of music all the time? I said, that's nice. I said, I like to hear that. Well, he said, I like it too, Pops, but he said, it don't sell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's true. Yeah, but he's really a he's a pleasure to go out with. I mean, he is just he'll jump in the creek and run the cables out and pull you through the water, or whatever you know. Speaking, of, I think I remember a story where that that new vehicle you guys got. So what happened to that new vehicle when you guys uh, checked out? Well, we we're going across Sibiu Creek after a big heavy when it used to snow and rain in Arizona. And uh, there was a lot of water coming down that creek, and uh, Ted thought we could make it. We needed to go across the, the creek, and uh, so he said, here's what let's do. Let's get the winch out and freewheel it in case we need to. If we get stuck out there, we can always winch it up on the other side. And so I made it all the way through, got to the other side, and hit a big pocket, dropped down in, and flooded the motor. And uh, Ted Spradling, myself, um, I think my brother Dino and a couple other guys were in the back of the truck, and so everything just filled with water and started floating. So we're grabbing bow cases and stuff as they're floating down the Sibiu Creek <laughs> trying to catch it all. And uh, Ted jumps out and wades in the water, and he grabs that cable and takes it up around a great big boulder. And uh, we ended up winching the truck out just enough where the motor would get dry. The rest of it was still in the water, and it, all the rest of them had bailed. They are all over there trying to dry out. And uh, anyway, we, we got the motor dried out and was able to – um, pull it through and get back on there, but uh, yeah, he's you know he's a good guy. He he, he likes it just like everybody else does. Um, it's, it's fun to be around him. Yeah. But a lifetime of hunting with him, I wouldn't give a day uh, being with my dad. Yep. So, yeah, 
we've solved a lot of the world's problems and a lot of my problems, or maybe some of his too. We spent a lot of mountain time together. And uh, when you get out there, you know, you, there's, you can't, there's never going to be any enmity between anybody, cause, especially on a family level, because you, you can't do that. You can't be out in the middle of the woods and enjoy what God's created so beautiful and, and have any problems with, you know, family members. It just, it's not going to happen. Yep. I've been there for sure. Yep. All right. So we're closing this uh, intro to the Richardson family of specifically George and the foundation. So any uh, last things you'd like to tell the audience, George, about you and your family and what hunting is and faith or anything else? Well, it's always about the faith first, you know. You never, you know, you, you always bring that into play. And you, you don't bring that into play by talking to people and telling them about they should be doing this and they should be doing that. But you're only going to change people's mind when you're talking about faith if you live that life and you have to live it because that's the example that, you know, set an example. And if people see that in you, then they, you know, they respect you. And I thank the good Lord that I do have respect from people and things. And it's just, uh, well, without him, you know, it's all his creation. Mm -hmm. And he gave us this and he gave us our families also. And families, to me, is the most important part of any hunt or anything. It's not how big of an animal you kill or anything like that. It's always about the family and who was with you. You know, and I've made some, you know, really good friends over the years by doing that. Yep. And uh, it's just a, you make that the priority. And it's funny, too, like you say, you know, when you get around a camp and a lot of people come in, and they'll, we had some people from California, Corky was guiding them on a buffalo hunt. <clears throat> and he came in and they, you know, had their wine and all that stuff. We told them, sure, that's fine. And they kept on and they said, we notice you guys don't use a lot of foul language, do you? And you think, well, are you some kind of religious group or whatever, you know? I think they were wanting to say, are you Mormon or what, you know? But they didn't. But anyway, we told them, you know, that's just the way we are, you know. We're Christians, and we try to live the life, and that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. How about you, Cork? <clears throat> well, I think uh, one of the, the biggest deals is uh, you gotta you got to take your family with you, for one thing. Don't leave them all at home all the time. There's time to go away. There's time that it needs to be the boys which is just, that's fine too. And the gals, there's times that it should only be gals. Um, make sure you do that. But, uh, you know, I'm a lifetime member of every organization I know of, that uh, pretty much any conservation group. Uh, but like I tell everybody all the time, I've got one that I devote my time to, and that's the Christian Hunters of America. Because I look at all the other ones, and Ducks Unlimited, guess what? They're all about ducks and conservation about ducks, and that's Okay. Christian Hunters of America, we're all the same hunters. But you know what we're all about? We're all about bringing men and women and kids to Christ. So that's where I'm going to put my time. You only got so much time. And um, so that's the goal for me is that thing. And I, you know, I've, had a, I've had a lot of success, a bunch, you know, that's uh, definitely God-given. There's no question about it. I mean, I shot a buffalo that I couldn't even see the other side of it, and it ended up being the world record. You know, I saw, you know, but it gives you a 
a podium. It gives you a pedestal, and it gives you time to that you'll be somehow um, selected for something. And it gives me a spot that I can talk to folks. And my challenge has been for men to uh, to speak up. I mean, we're out there. You're out there with your hunting buddies, and if you uh, have Christ in your heart and you you want your buddy to to know that, you know, there's a song by Casting Crowns that, that starts out and it says. Uh, how will he know if he doesn't – how will he hear these words if they don't come from me knowing that they're straight from you and the fire in your eyes? Um, we we sit and sometimes go with our hunting buddies for 30 years and never bring up the conversation. I don't want to be at the gates and have somebody not make it to heaven because I never took the time to kind of just ask them one day and say, hey, man, where are you at if you died? If you if, if passed away, where would you go right now? And just something simple like that, you know, like you say, you got to live it in front of them. Like Dad says, the best sermon ever uh, preached was one that's uh, taught and just lived. Um, but you got to you got to live it and take that opportunity. You know, challenge yourself to to not always just sit back and wonder. Um, just check, maybe they're okay and they're good. Uh, but it's it's dumb to sit and go back with our friends all the time out there in the. And the place that God creates, it's really neat to get them to think about that because there's nothing there. When you're out in the woods, there's nothing there that uh, takes your mind away from that. You just get to see God's creation and all that. And I don't know how many friends that uh, we have um, prayed the prayer of salvation with um, while we were hunting. A bunch of them. I know a whole bunch of them. And uh, I'll leave them anonymous. But uh, it's, it's because... You know they they see that a lot in dad and and um, and our family and that kind of thing and so anyway that's the challenge to men is don't be caught on the side of just being complacent and wondering every now and then ask them check up on them we all need that we're, our our men we're supposed to check up on each other so that's what we need to do yep absolutely and I think that's a great point because maybe there's somebody listening today because we don't know where this podcast is going to go and this is something brand new to CHA so George would you want to lead us and maybe there's a listener out there that has been impacted today based on this message and you can maybe lead them to, to our Lord and Savior okay. or Corky or one of you guys would like to lead them in that salvation prayer go ahead Corky <clears throat> Lord we just come to you right now and uh, we thank you for uh, the Christian Hunters of America and, and uh, putting this podcast together and uh I appreciate so much the, the legacy that my dad's led a long time ago and all of my family members that uh, we've had such a good time hunting together. And Lord, I you know, right now, if there's anybody out there that somehow they they know of you, but, it, you know, Satan knew of God too. It says that we're supposed to have a personal relationship with you. And that relationship's easy. We don't have to change anything. We don't have to quit doing anything that we're doing. Christ just says that he wants us to come to him and admit that he's the son of God. And uh, Lord, if we would just, if they would just take that moment and prayer, uh, you know, make a prayer where they ask Christ into their heart and where they ask him to just accept him the way he is, the way we are. He's going to take us just the way we are. Remember, God created all of us and he, he made us the way we are. And he may have something he wants to change in us, but he may not, too. He just wants to make sure that uh, we accept him as Christ and that we uh, believe that he's a son of God and that um, someday he's going to return and uh, gather us up and uh, 
live a life of eternity. You're going to live eternity one place or another, and the one alternative is not good to even speak about. So, Lord, we ask all of this in uh, your precious son's Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> well, we just want to thank you for this uh, joining us today on this podcast. Um, sometimes we don't know where these podcasts are going to go because we're actually just speaking real life and just real people, and this is just you know how we how CHA was was made was just by a bunch of group of volunteers and men and women that love to hunt. They also you know, love people in the fellowship and, and have Christ at the center point. So again, we, we thank you guys for this opportunity to come and have this podcast. And again, if you have any prayer requests or would like to reach out to us, you can always reach out to us at info at christianhuntersamerica.org. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Christian Hunters of America podcast. If you have any prayer requests or you require any information, please look us up on christianhuntersofamerica.org or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram under Christian Hunters of America.